We're beginning a series today uh, during this uh, Advent season um, and the theme is From Darkness to Light. Got that wonderful passage in 1 Peter that tells us that we have been that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And I'm hoping that we, over the coming weeks, as different ones uh, from among us bring uh, the Lord's word, that we will appreciate how marvellous God's light is. I'm just going to wipe my glasses. Um, I'm hoping that um, that as we hear the word of God, that we might understand, that we might grasp just uh, how great is the light of God that has shone into this world and into our lives. Um, and at the same time, that we would just have a deeper grasp of how dark this world is. Um, I think uh, it's so easy to live in this world and to accept that evil is normal. And it is not normal. It is not a part of God's good creation. And... uh, People are, 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 I suppose, battling with the fear and the uh, the shock of um, the pandemic, um, and, uh, and now there's a, a new variant that's looking uh, like a new challenge to the world. Uh, just as some people, some countries are coming out from under their dunas, uh, it's looking a bit more uh, frightening um, and fearful. And without diminishing that reality, and some people would love to diminish it completely as though it's all fake news, it's not. People are, gra- people are battling with losing loved ones. I have a neighbour who lost two uncles uh, in Iran. Um, but the death from the pandemic is nothing compared to the outworking of evil and death through sin across our world every day in every nation the damage the destruction the division the despair that sin brings as it as it destroys our humanity towards one another the the abuse the rape the murder the corruption the greed the suffering And this is just our normal experience as a fallen humanity in a fallen world. And so whilst we don't have to live under the great burden um, of, uh, of the darkness, we need to know that it's there and it's real and it should lead us to to the throne of grace to pray for the peoples of this world, to pray for our neighbours and to guard our own hearts. So 
I trust this theory won't be just a theological um, uh, journey, but something that comes to the heart and the conscience. Um, so we can be ignorant, blind to both the terrible darkness of this world, but then blind to the brilliant light that has come in the birth of Christ and in all that he has accomplished. We can be so familiar with the darkness that we don't see it. Uh, Paul in Ephesians uh, reminds us of uh, the terrible place humanity is in. Um, In Ephesians 4, Paul says that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart, darkened in their minds, in their thinking. They don't even know what they don't know. They've become callous, they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed, to be enlightened in your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Light in the Bible is is a metaphor for who God is, his likeness, his purity, his goodness, and therefore it's a metaphor for what we are created to be as the people of light, as the children of light, as we've heard in the children's talk. And so that we don't stumble around the darkness, we can actually see where we are. You know, light enables us to see what's around us, to see things truly. In fact, without light, you cannot see reality. You will be seduced by the lie again and again because you won't have the capacity to understand how God, who God is and how he made this world to function as a reflection of his own glory. And so we're coming up to this time of the birth of Christ and it's not just a little bit of uh, Christmas cheer and, and uh, in a dark world. It is this great light coming into the darkness shining into the darkness of this world, into our darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And the birth of Christ spells the end of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Yes, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world we in the birth of Christ we need to see the greatness of the works of God what God has done to bring his salvation into the darkness we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love Um, And so we are not overcome uh, by the world, but we go out as he is in us to overcome the world. 
Now, is that the reality? I suspect for some of us, some of the time, it's not the truth. That sometimes we are overcome by the world. Someone has said that, uh, that we are, God's people are often not, um, well, we're told to be in the world, but not of the world. But the truth is, we're often not in the world because we are of the world. But you've got to think about that. We're to be in the world. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. But we're not to be of the world. But if we're not, but if we are of the world, we won't be in the world as God's called us to be. Not effectively. In other words, our power to be fruitfully engaged in this world comes from being not of the world. Christ was born to set his people free, free to overcome the world, no longer under its power, but living under the power of Christ. And he is the true light which gives gives light to everyone, the one who is coming into the world. So it's, uh, it's by his light that has come to us that we are freed from being of the world, from being sucked in to the lie and darkness of this world. He brought out the darkness by his coming. He exposed how dark humanity is under the power of Satan. But we see nothing in the hatred and opposition to Jesus in the Gospels that we don't read about every day in the newspapers, the evil of the human heart, and how people can look very nice and kind, but when, uh, was it, shove comes to, when push comes to shove, people are capable of great evil and hatred and murder. We do not realise the darkness we live in until Christ shines on us. And it's the light of Christ that unmasks the darkness of the world. Light, just at at a physical level, light always involves the removal of darkness. In the unfolding of the biblical story, that's true. Light always involves the removal of darkness. If I turn a light on... In a dark room, the darkness is dispelled. Sometimes uh, we think you read books and you see movies about this battle between good and evil and it looks like it's a a tussle and you're not sure who's going to win. But in the Bible, there's no such uncertainty between light and darkness. They are not two equal forces, just as in reality light overcomes the darkness God's word never entertains the thought that darkness is equal in power to God's light God is Lord he created light we'll see in a moment and he reigns over the darkness and the powers of evil and in the centre of human history the light of God has appeared to destroy the kingdom of darkness Jesus was born into a world where sin and death reigned. And through the weakness of a crucified Messiah, 
God has turned hearts and turns hearts from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And he brings into being a a humanity who now proclaims the excellencies, excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light, a people who love God, who worship him. The birth of Messiah spelt doom for the kingdom of darkness, breathed terror into every demonic power. And as we follow the Son of God, we don't walk in darkness. We have the light of life. And we need not be overcome by evil or by the terrors of this world. Because the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing. You you wouldn't know that from the newspapers. You won't know that, that the true light is already shining and the darkness is passing away by looking out of the world. But you'll know it by the word of God and you'll see it as, the, as, as we love one another. As love defeats our own darkness, our own hatred, our own unforgiveness, then we'll know the true light is already shining. When, when we love as he loved because his love is poured into our hearts, You see, the kingdom of darkness is doomed, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't rage against the people of God and seek to do as much damage as it can. We, uh, I think most of us, most of the time, are pretty ignorant of the schemes of the evil one. But he is relentless to try to destroy our marriages, our families, our children, our hope. He will do his utmost to mar the image of God in our lives and to take away the power of Christ to make us new. So we we better not be ignorant of that. But we better not reduce the battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness to some secret conspiracy if we do we won't recognize all the other ways the darkness can trip us up and enslave us understanding the true dynamic of hope of being delivered from the dominion of darkness by the by the power of christ will guard us from falling for the for the latest conspiracy it's, when we, it's when, when we don't live in the greatness of who Christ is and what he has done that we can get caught up in the fears and, and the ways that people try to get a handle on it all by thinking they've found out what's really happening. Go to the word of God, not, not to social media. We don't need to be enlightened by conspiracy theories, but by the gospel of the glory of Christ shining into our hearts. Now, right in the beginning of uh, the Bible, we hear about light being created. Um, in, in the book of James, before we go there, God is actually called the Father of lights. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow 
due to change. He is reliable. You can trust him. He's faithful. God is the father of lights because he himself is light. He's the creator of light. He's the personification of all that is light. He alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. I said to the fellows in prison and Bible study, we're going through 1 John and I read, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I said, isn't that good? How would you go trusting a God who had darkness in him? And they said, yeah, they all agreed. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. God created light at the very beginning of time. It couldn't exist without him. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. It's very interesting. That's the first day of creation. But the sun and the moon aren't created until the fourth day. You may not have noticed that. So whatever happened on the first day that brought this brilliant light into the darkness does not appear to be the sun or the moon. And the, the fact is light doesn't need the sun or the moon. Light is a form of energy that may be produced in many ways, not just by the sun. And what we need to see is that, is that God, was, God is not dependent on the sun, <laughs> To create light, God in the first day of creation said, let there be light. Now, I can't say more than that. There's mystery in that. We know that God separated light from the darkness so that there would be day and night. It's, the truth is God brought light out of darkness and without God there would be no light. Where the light in the sense of creation but more important the light of his own moral glory that shines and uh, without if there is no god of light creation is meaningless there's nothing there uh, that can hold us but it's god's light his truth his holy being that gives us the freedom to live as his image bearer and so this very light that God created on the first day appointed to that greater light that is God himself. The, the light of creation by which we see all things. You know, if I turned the lights off, it was night time, this was dark, we couldn't see a thing. This very light by which we see all things is just a dim reflection of the brilliant glory of the unseen God. And it's because of who God is in that brilliant glory that he cannot, will not tolerate darkness. And that's why uh, the prophet Isaiah said, Woe unto them that put darkness for light and light for darkness. And how dark it was for Israel and how dark it is for us when we give way to idolatry, to our idols. Uh, that's the... That's right at the heart of sin and at the lie. It's the greatest sin of all when we, when we want to be our own God rather than, than honour and acknowledge and love and thank the God who made us and to whom we owe our very existence. 
And so idolatry brought Israel into great darkness. It brings us into great darkness. Um, Our culture says there's 50 shades of grey. Well, that's not the case. There's light and there's darkness. What fellowship does light have with darkness? There is the darkness that people love because they don't like the light. There's the darkness also that comes into a world of suffering and death. And they are linked. Death and sin are linked, we know. But not all suffering comes because we've done something wrong. And uh, that's why the counsellors of Job were very poor counsellors because they, they were telling Job, well, you're suffering because you've done something wrong and God's disciplining you. Not the case. Not the case. But certainly Job's faith was being tested. And uh, he wrote that chapter, and it was a dark chapter that Alicia read. Um, Cursed, he cursed the day he was born. Was that wrong? Yes, it was wrong, actually. Yes, it was foolish. And yes, he needed to repent of that. But that's not why he was suffering. That was the, that was the, the struggle that he went through and that his faith faltered to the time where he despaired of his very life and wished he'd never been born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May blackness overwhelm it. Anyone who's been through deep struggle and pain would read that chapter and in a strange way it could actually encourage them. Because when we read that, we realise that God understands and he knows. And the beautiful word about Job was he was affirmed for his perseverance. You know, God, God did not judge him in the way we might have judged him reading that chapter. Or we might judge one another in our own struggles. But there's a darkness that comes, and in fact Isaiah speaks of this darkness that's like a veil over the whole, all the nations. And it's what many people will be struggling with as they lose loved ones through this pandemic. It's the utter futility and the emptiness of life without the one you love. And where's the light in that? And that's what Job's... Job is saying, why, why do I have light to go through that? I'd rather be non-existent, not being, than live in such a place. Well, the light of God comes to us in all our darkness. Um, Christopher Ashe, in his commentary, he said, a true Christian believer may be taken by God through times of deep and dark despair. He or she may be taken through this darkness even though he or she has not fallen into sin or backslidden. And Tim Keller says that these times actually give us an opportunity for our faith to trust in God when it feels like there's nothing coming from him to us and yet to still trust him and to come out of these times with a faith that is less rockable, less flappable, because we know that we've been able to hold on to him in the darkness. 
Isaiah said, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. And the prophet is not talking about walking in darkness in the sense of walking in sin, like 1 John. He's talking about living in a culture, which was Israel, where unbelief and idolatry reign and where there is little visible evidence of the light of God. And he's saying, don't stop stop trusting. Don't stop trusting in the name of the Lord or rely on God even when you can't see or sense the light. But he goes on. But now you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you've set ablaze. This is what you'll receive from my hand you will lie down in torment. You see, there are seductive and deceptive and misleading lights of this present world. Um, some of us have heard about um, wandering lights, or they used to, the Latin, they call them giddy flame. Uh, it's an, an atmospheric light seen by travellers at night, especially over bogs and swamps. And uh, people thought there was someone out there with a lantern and they'd go chasing after them. But it wasn't. It's just some sort of mysterious phenomena with the gas coming up from the swamp. And all sorts of funny folklore came out of those things and they call them well-o'-the-wisp and it metaphorically referred to a hope or goal that leads one on but is impossible to reach. That's interesting, isn't it? Following after wandering lights, thinking you're going to get there, you're going to find it. But you never do. And it never satisfies. And there's a, there's a verse, the last verse of uh, that hymn we've often sung, Thou who givest of thy gladness. This last verse, it says, To thy house, O God my Father, thy lost child is come. Led by wandering lights no longer, I found my home. Over moor and fen I tracked them, I followed them through the midnight blast in the night, but to find the light eternal in my heart at last. I was a, um, probably about 17, one of the last times I went floundering. We'd go floundering at the Port River, I don't know whether I've shared this story. If I have, please forgive me. But uh, we used to go in the shallows, water like that, at night in the Port River, out in the middle of the Port River. We'd go there by our boat. And uh, on low tide, you could walk in the shallows in the middle of the river, near Outer Harbour. And you'd spear flathead and flounder with a spear and an underwater light, just walking around. And we'd do it at one, two in the morning. And, uh, and this last time I did it with my father, we went out with just my father and I and a friend of mine and his father, and we used his yacht, his boat, to get across. Normally we used a little tinny. When we got across, my father was feeling unwell. And for the first time in my fishing experience, he said, I'm not going to go out with you, you go out. So I went out with this, these other two, my friend and his father. They knew nothing about what we were doing. I was teaching them in the night, and I thought, yeah, there's the light of the boat. And we kept on walking and walked. And we went for about an hour and a half. 
And then I realised we were deeper, getting up deeper. Remember, the tide comes in in the Port River and it comes in a fair way. And then I looked for the light and I got confused because there was lights all around me. And some were lights were near the city and up the river and others were in the gulf, but I couldn't tell the difference. And I couldn't tell whether you were going shallower or deeper. We're in the middle of the night, maybe two in the morning, wandering in water, no sandbank anymore, and it suddenly hit me. I did not know where the light of my, the boat was, where my father was. He'd gone to sleep. And I didn't tell my friend or his father, but in me, I was panicking because I knew that the tide was coming in and we could be out there swimming in the dark without life belts. <laughs> it was critical. And uh, I heard a noise in the distance and uh, it was, I couldn't tell whether, what it was, but it was the only thing I could head to. It was so faint and I headed towards that faint noise and uh, after half an hour I began to realise it was a voice and a bit further along I knew it was my father's voice. And eventually as I listened to where it was coming from I saw the light of the boat still dim in the distance. We were so far away. We'd wandered so far away from my father. And eventually, as I came up, I could see in the light uh, my father and the relief on his face when he saw us. You see, we've led by wandering lights no longer. Sometimes that's where we are, in our, in our darkness, in our suffering, um, we can just lose sight of the light and it doesn't look bright anymore. In fact, all the lights look the same. But it's the Father who calls us back. And as we respond to that voice, we may not even be able to hear it clearly, but as we head towards that voice, the light becomes brighter Christ came. He didn't just wait in the boat. He came into the darkness searching for us. The reason the Son of God came, appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to dismantle the kingdom of darkness, the dust of death that enthralls us to unmask the idols, to show how, how pitiful they are, how gaudy they are, and to show us the beauty of his son that we might love him and in loving him, love the father. He came to liberate us from the fear of death. What is the fear of death? Our guilt. <laughs> If Christ has dealt with our guilt, then Satan has nothing to hold us in his grip because death no longer fears, because we no longer fear judgment. 
Paul, we heard about Paul in Acts. He said he didn't he, he counted his life of any value, nor as precious to himself, only if he could finish his course, this ministry received from the Lord to testify to the gospel. He just threw everything in, didn't he? And uh, this is a beautiful word from John Christostom. Christostom. He who fears death is a slave and subjects himself to everything in order to avoid dying. People shop to deal with the fear of death. But he who does not fear death is outside the tyranny of the devil. For indeed, man would give all things for the sake of his life. And if a man should decide to disregard this, whose slave is he then? If he disregards worrying about his own life, he can't be enslaved. He fears no one, is in terror of no one, is higher than everyone and is freer than everyone. For he who disregards his own life disregards more so all other things. He's not talking about not caring for our lives, just you know, treating ourselves as, no, we are precious in God's, but precious is the death of his saints. It's knowing that no matter what happens to me, the privilege of sharing this gospel with others, even if I suffer, is priceless. Nothing can threaten someone. When the devil finds such a soul, he can accomplish in it none of his works. Tell me, though, what can he threaten? The loss of money or honour or exile from one's country? For these are small things to him who counteth not even his life dear. You see, it's seeing Christ and loving him that enables us to to love our lives, uh, not even to death. In other words, to be willing to lay it all down for the sake of the kingdom. Are we there? No, probably not. If we were, we would know far greater freedom and joy in God than we could ever imagine. And I've met people in Indonesia, poor people, who knew the joy and freedom and love of Christ in a way that I envied. They were free for the kingdom. They knew the light of God. They knew that the world is passing away, that Satan's counterfeit plan cannot last. <coughs> Pardon me. What, what Satan has built is a distortion of the creation And the darkness of his kingdom cannot stand up. It cannot bear the brilliant light of the Son of God. Darkness is is not... Darkness only exists in the absence of light. We don't talk about the speed of darkness, do we? We talk about the speed of light. So Satan's kingdom is doomed. It has no future. It's a hollow kingdom, an artificial replica, a doomed idiocy that having played its game falls apart. All evil self-destructs ultimately by reason of its own nature and in the face of Christ. In the day when darkness reigned, it was only momentary. Christ burst out of that tomb in brilliant glory. And so there's a day coming when there'll be no need for the sun or the moon because, because God himself will be our light. The darkness of this world is on its way out. 
no matter how threatening the darkness is, it has no future. And that's why we're to love one another. Not let anything, not let any sin take up home in our hearts so that we could see that the true light is already shining. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Don't be overcome by the darkness, but overcome darkness by the light. I'll just share this last little story. I was at Theological College many years ago and a fellow student shared a vision that he saw and he said, John, can help me? I don't know what it means. Well, I'll tell it to you and I wonder if you'll see what I saw. He saw what appeared to be a world existing in impenetrable, dense darkness where there was no light and it was horrible. But then as he looked, he saw beautiful green shoots breaking through the surface, bathed with incandescent light. Can you see what I saw? Can you? Are we those green shoots? God's people throughout the nations? The light of God. And then are we living as children of light, the light of the Lord? Let's pray so. Our dear Father of lights, you're the source of all true light and your light is the life of men and you gave him to us, born as one of us, died our death, conquered the grave and now reigns as Lord over all. I thank you, dear Father, that this kingdom has come and is coming in its fullness. Open our eyes in these days to see the power and presence of Christ's kingdom, your kingdom, Lord, your reign of love in this dark world. And in that, Father, may we know fresh hope and joy and courage to serve you freely without fear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.